Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 343. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we get all mad, because even though Beyonce has won the most Grammys of literally anyone ever, she hasn't won the right Grammys. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, and honestly, I'll take any Grammy? Like, is there a Grammy for, like, best podcast logo? Because I will accept that. Today, we're not going to talk about the state of music. Instead, we'll talk about the state of the union. Thank you, segues. Thank you. We'll also talk about the new phenomenon of the shoppy shop. And finally, sleepovers are apparently now a thing that requires multiple think pieces and debate. So we will get into it. Today, oh, Chef Andrew McGuire, our wonderful uh, producer, has put together for you the, just the most delectable panel. Um, now this is a, somehow I'm a cannibal uh, suddenly um, in, in the, the introduction of these wonderful panelists. They're so fantastic. I'm so excited to have them on. Um, joining us for the not first time, she's a veteran of the show. Uh, she's a wonderful comedian who I've seen just like absolutely obliterate in so many rooms around the city and, and all over the country because she's a comedian. She is an author. She is the wonderful Vicki Kupperman. Hey, Vicki. Nagin, thank you for having me. I can't wait to dive in. Oh, my gosh. And this next panelist has not been on the show. Is that right? 
I, that's true. It's hard okay. to believe. But, that's right. But, uh, I, we have been on other podcasts together, which is why I'm confused. And he's honestly just one of those irritatingly talented people that just can handle multiple genres of talent in in one person. Um, he is one of the Gregory Brothers, best known for Auto-Tune the News, uh, for Songify This, and just recently, because we talked about it on the show, the the like TikTok sensation, It's Corn. Uh, we literally had a full segment on the It's Corn situation. Um, it is the wonderful Andrew Rose Gregory. Hello. Oh man, I'm going to have to go through the Fake the Nation archives to just give myself an ego Listen to that yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, before we get into three wonderful segments that we have planned for you, I just want to remind people that if you like this show, you'll like more of it uh, by going to patreoncom slash Farsad. You can get more of it um, for as little as four dollars a month. You get bonus episodes of the show, and they're so fun and they're so wacky. Um, they're like all the stuff you love about Fake the Nation, but like more of that so um, go to patreon.com slash Nikki and and support the show and thank you so much for everyone who's been supporting the show low these many one year I think I've been doing Patreon <laughs> um, and just generally supporting the show by handing us your earballs I very much appreciate it you guys are the best now let us get into it with topic number one so last night young Buck Biden gave his State of the Union address to a crowd of occasionally behaving congressional representatives there was a lot of economy talk a lot of microchips talk there were some tear jerking moments and a lot of heckling um, but the first question on all of our minds let's just get it out of the way it is the elephant in the room did Biden sufficiently prove that he is not horribly old. I don't know any 80 something year old that would have that much endurance. <laughs> yeah, it clocked in at like an hour. So that was a uh, yeah, absolutely. An hour and 20, I think. I mean, like I would have stumbled more, you know. The amazing thing about our government is that you end up Biden ends up looking great because you end up not comparing him to 50 year olds. You compare him to all of the other 80 and 90 year olds who are running our government. You're like, man, Chuck Grassley, (laughs) who this is not a joke. This is true. Chuck Grassley was born before the invention of the chocolate chip cookie. You're like, are you you serious? That's a true fact. That's a true fact. When is the invention of the chocolate chip cookie? I think it's like mid to late 30s and Chuck Grassley's early 30s. I can't even envision an America without chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, it's amazing. But when you put Biden next to Chuck Grassley, then you're like, well, this guy's a spring chicken because there's no 40 and 50 year olds who are successfully at the top echelons of our government, which is wild. And, you know, wisdom does come with age, too. And I think we we just don't know balance in this country. So the young Republicans are just horrific. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene could have carried on a sentence. I Can you see Sarah Palin being cohesive for 90 minutes? Right. That's the counter. Like, that's yeah, the counter that's the to counter. Biden is like yeah. the, the what what young energy do we have in Congress right. is like the people who are screaming through the State of the Union address. Yeah. The people dressed like an oligarch's hooker, but behaving 100 <laughs> times worse. <laughs> um. <laughs> I it's I'm 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 getting so much insight into oligarchs hookers right now. Um, by the way, uh, Vicky is of of Vicky is of Russian heritage, and she is allowed to make oligarch jokes. I believe is the rule that <laughs> we've uh, established here on Fake the Nation. Um, well, he he taught so folks. Okay, so you you both seemed relatively happy with his level of vim and vigor, his level of eighty eighty year old energy 
Um, were, so he talked a little bit about accomplishments. He talked about keeping drug prices low, increasing taxes on the wealthy, making childcare and housing affordable, um, all this stuff in the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, he talked about like credits you could be getting. You didn't even know that you're learning tonight. You're getting the, you know, the, the stuff that the Inflation Reduction Act, which was like this incredible climate change um, bill uh, started to do. He talked about burn pits. He talked about record low unemployment. Uh where I mean, do you were you like, oh, America's doing okay, or like, what was your <laughs> what was your feeling on the actual State of the Union, which Biden um, kind of officially determined was strong? I think I think they always say that, Nikki. I think they say, I think they say <laughs> I know. that every time. Do they ever say like the State of the Union? Pretty shitty. Guys, tough noogies out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like the Republicans, I was heckling, but I wasn't interrupting, you know, because I was at home. <laughs> So I everything he said, oh, record this jobs, jobs, jobs. I was like, jobs in what records in what people are miserable. We have violence on the street. We have the police shooting down innocent men. The only thing, though, is when he talked about the opioid crisis and he was heckled that it's because of the border. I said it's because of pharma in your pockets, you Republicans. That's why. Yeah. And and I think he gave sufficient time to the border because that is actually not a cause of a lot of problems. And in talking about pharma too, he mentioned um, that they he he want you know he's trying to regulate pres- prescription drugs and it makes a lot of sense and it would actually make the cost of Medicare cheaper because Medicare shouldering the cost of some of these outrageously priced prescription drugs. And he's like, it just makes sense. And it completely does just make sense when you hear someone talk about it like that. You're like, oh yeah, Medicare is shouldering that cost and we shouldn't and we should be negotiating lower costs. Um, and then he said, he added, which I think this was w- one of the moments of levity. He was just like, but guys, don't worry about big pharma. They're gonna be fine. Like they're gonna be. They're still gonna do really well. Um, because as you say, Vicky, they're in the pocket of big pharma. A lot of them, and a lot of them are like, but I still need to get like all of the money that the lobbyists spend on me. Like, don't like relax, bro. You will. That's a bizarre assurance to give the people watching at home. Like Joe Biden always <laughs> talks about like the kitchen table moments that he's thinking about. It's like right, those right. people who are sitting around the kitchen table, like watching the State of the Union, hanging on Joe Biden's every word to see if help is coming. Like, I don't think they were really concerned about whether Big Farmer was going to do fine. Well, and I think that's what Biden's joke is all about, because he's like the only people that care about whether or not Big Pharma is doing fine are in the room. You know, what I mean. so the uh, the other kind of moment of levity he had was like talking about um, a lot of the infrastructure um, bills that he passed that w- will enable. Do you guys remember the Sarah from the Iron Workers Union moment? Um, by the way, Sarah, my new favorite person in America. She was just like, seemed like the happiest, most joyous like iron worker I've ever. I mean, to be fair, I don't know that many iron workers, but putting a face on iron workers that is the face of Sarah, I was like, this is some good marketing right now. Um, and um, basically, he talked about how a lot of people in the room had voted against some of the very infrastructure improvements, but you know they're still they still come to the ribbon cutting uh, and and take credit. 
even though they vote against like spending that money. Um, and he's like, but that's okay, guys. I'll see you at the ribbon cutting, you know? And I also thought that was funny because it's just like, yeah, you guys, you these things where it's like you fix a bridge so people don't die, that's pretty popular. Don't just take all the credit but vote against it. I mean, this isn't, you know, uh, it's dumb that you're doing that, basically. Did you feel like, Talk to me how about how you feel Biden handled the hecklers, Andrew. Do you feel like there, you know, he did he get he got a lot of like liar and all that stuff from me? I guess mostly Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, you know, how do you, how did he handle them? I mean, the the first State of the Union heckling I ever remember, I believe, was in twenty eleven. Mm. Maybe it's twenty twelve. Yeah, with the Joe Wilson yelling, you lie you, at yeah, Obama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was such a big news story. And I believe he was, uh, we'll have to look this up later, or an angry fan can correct me, but I think he was officially censured by the Republican um, caucus. For doing <laughs> it's just that, like, yeah. And like, none of that is going to happen. No, for like, definitely uh, not. Heckling that's like so much worse, people yelling bullshit. Uh, but, uh, but like, despite all of the really nasty stuff, I think what people will remember when they look back at the heckling is the, I believe it was a social security moment. It was like a social yeah. security social security and Medicare moment when Joe Biden was saying that he wasn't getting enough cooperation from Republicans on that. And when and he was booed, Yeah, that some of them, he said, and he really emphasized some of these Republicans want to get rid of your social security. Yes, and, and when he, he was, was booed... booed he tweets, he twisted it around on him. He pulled a little, you know, dark brain and shuffle on them. And he <laughs> and he was like, oh, this is great. We are agreeing right now in front of the American public that we won't mess with Medicare or Social Security. Thanks so much for working with me on this. Yeah, that and was And I think that sort of agility on his feet and his willing to it, like basically he's shitposting in live in live time. Like, <laughs> like. Like Biden slash Dark Brandon knows this isn't true, that he's gotten an agreement, but he's saying it just to shove it in their faces and try try to make a publicity news story of it and try to make it something that Democrats can run on going forward. And like that is why Biden is a fun politician to watch who licks ice cream cones and touches biker's butts and got elected president <laughs> yeah just just to be clear the the thing he said where he you know the the fun like sarcasm that he did was like so folks as we all apparently agree social security medicare is off the books now right all right we've got unanimity and he said like i love conversion <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. he was just sort of like, you know, totally like putting Republicans on blast with like, uh, like you said this, you all did this cheering and this booing and this whatever. So here we are. You're not going to keep threatening Social Security, the most monumentally popular um, public policy in America. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, he has the I can't be bothered grandpa vibes like we all agree we're going to share the toy. Right. Good. Good. Leading the room, and you're all going to share and not yell. Thank you. Totally. Same thing about Ava, the daughter. I think her name's Ava, the daughter of the couple who survived cancer at four years old. He said, "I don't think she's watching because she's asleep." I expected him to say, "You better be asleep," like we talked about. (laughs) (laughs) Same tone. Same tone. Yes. Um, You just know this is a man who has picked up the phone in his house and had a teenager say, "Like, hey, can I talk to Bo?" And he's just said, "I don't know." 
can you? Yeah. Can you talk to Bo? <laughs> you know, you know that Biden has done that, and yes. now he's turning those very same sarcastic dad skills yes. against an entire party uh, of the United States government. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um. He. So let's we're gonna talk about two more moments. One was the Tyree um, Nichols parents moment. Now I obviously was uh, sobbing in a corner. Do you think, you know, yeah, I think we all agree it felt pretty effective. It felt effective to see the parents. It felt just so raw to see parents like living through what is like an absolute hell. Um, do you feel like that is going to be something? <laughs> I don't know. Vicky, did you feel like that could move the needle? I don't know. I was just so tense that a Republican would be so very rude or inappropriate during that time that I couldn't fully actually cry in the corner. Experience I was it, right. so worried that they were going to disrespect those parents. Yeah. But I, I want to say Biden was on brand in that similar to his victory speech when he won, you know, when he delivered that Saturday after the election, he said trans, which I think no president had said before. I I don't think I've heard a president speak about police brutality in that way at a state of the union ever. Um, and yeah. he's constantly, you know, pushing the needle in that way. And whether change comes from that or not, it's just interesting. This old man who had very problematic voting and Back in the day, uh, yeah, yeah, and very problematic things he said um, yeah. about women and and black people and so on was able to shift. I mean, whether it's his team just telling him he has to say it, but uh, I mean, he sounds authentic about it. Yeah, so. he has an easier time with change than I think the average person. And yeah. that's it's pretty remarkable for like someone that age, especially. OK, yeah. so the last moment I wanted to talk about is, Andrew, do you remember him saying near the end um, up when we talked, he talked about China and he was just like, name one leader that would change places with Xi, Jin, with Xi Jinping. Name one, name one. And it's like he sort of name one a few times. Uh, do you feel how do you. If you're in China, how's that landing this morning? I mean, first of all, I feel like, you know, at least 25% of world leaders are autocrats. And that's a big trade up to China. If you can if you can trade up from your autocratic nation to China, I think we could come up with a couple leaders that would trade with. <laughs> um, so but, statistically, uh, so statistically, it did. It was not accurate for you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Am I going to go on the books and list any autocratic leaders? No, I don't want to get I don't want to get on their shit list. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe, but the um, I don't know. I feel like that sort of anti-China rhetoric is just like it's pretty standard at this point. It's like in the 80s, people were making fun of stuff that was made in China, like for the last 20 years, kind of like. Post, what was George W. Bush saying? The axis of evil that was Iraq, yeah. Afghanistan, and North Korea. It's like that and kind Iran. of war off. Yeah, that kind of war off. Oh, right, right, right. It was Iran, not Afghanistan. That kind of war off. And um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, China has been a scapegoat for more than 10, more than 20 years. So it's just kind of like it, it's another day in Beijing, I imagine, for Xi Jinping. Right. Uh, <laughs> wake, waking up and seeing that uh, he got shit talked at the State of the Union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in ultimately, I don't know, the balloon thing was very irritating. It was like dumb. It, the whole balloon thing 
like this insistence of why hasn't he shot it down and it's like it's like a thing that's the size of two buses you can't just shoot it down without like hurting a bunch of people because there is there will be a thing that lands on the ground so it's like it had to be shot down at the right place and the right time and there were some and they knew about it for days before the internet did so it was it it just became this sort of like you know, like it, it's, it was sort of like blue dress, gold dress. Like it was just a dumb internet conversation to me, uh, and it, it like taking on foreign foreign relations in a way that like the civilian doesn't understand. I totally agree with you. I think I totally believe in transparency, obviously. But do three hundred thirty million people need to know everything? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because there's going right. to be three hundred thirty million opinions in this country. Yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't. <laughs> they really and I'll don't. say. The scapegoating I'm talking about, like, kind of goes both ways. Like, I feel like it's just the accepted roles of our nations. Like, I feel like in the next week, there's going to be an incredibly angry press release or speech out of China. And, like, if Joe Biden took it to heart, he would be a moron. Like, that's just like, yeah, I feel yeah, like it's yeah, just part yeah, of the yeah. game. Like, like we'll say these, like that China is, is like this bad actor in international relations because of the balloon. And then they'll say that we're this terrible capitalistic company. That's, that's just part of the, we, we both got to get that into our state of the union. It's of like, right. I mean, I mean, first of all, it's like stand up comedy. You know, you just, not every audience loves you. You know what I mean? And that's what, uh, it's exactly what it's like being a president. Uh, me and Vicky are the same as presidents. All right. Um, let us take a quick break. And when we come back, we shall continue our discussions. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. 
Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we are back. And we're ready for topic number two. So we read a piece in Grub Street called Welcome to the Shoppy Shop by Emily Sandberg. And in it, she describes the rise of these otherwise online brands that realize that they need to sell their stuff in stores. So they started seeding stores all over the place, um, particularly like certain kind of hat cities. The piece makes the claim that suddenly every shop looks the same. Now, before we like really get into um, and eventually come to blows uh, because every fake the nation episode ends in violence uh but before we really get into this have you noticed this trend of the shoppy yeah, shop and the and the photos of the shoppy shop in the article are kind of like imagine like really plain wooden shelves stocked with like kind of understocked there's just like a couple things on each shelf right right and right. they're like like tinned fish like twee tinned fish and yeah uh, yeah um and uh, uh, like fancy crackers. I don't know. Im- yeah, imported tweet. things. Yeah. Right. And then something is just like, the, you know, something, something, the Danish way or whatever. Like it's everything feels like it has to be a, a, a Heige uh, related adjacent phenomenon that they're selling or like an Italian adjacent or something. Uh, and um, I think the term twee is really critical there, um, Andrew. Vicky, have you seen these shops? Oh, yeah. And I do think that at this point, it's not even about the brand anymore. It's just which one reaches you first for your need at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Even the like really like old school Italian sandwich place near me has kind of reopened and re-renovated in the genre of this store. And it's absolutely gotten me in like, oh, I'm going in to buy a $12 eggplant parm pretty reasonably priced lunch in my neighborhood. If I'm smart, I split it up into two lunches. And then like 10 minutes later, I'm walking out with like $70 of anchovies and guanciale. That was just <laughs> wonderful. That was just wonderfully staged on some wooden shelves. Yep. It, right. It's all about presentation. I did feel reading that article was more like the seventh circle of hell than um, the state of the union because <laughs> it was literally like fishwife, box, square, fair. I'm like, oh, this is now, we are in the circle now. Like this is, I don't even know these brand names, but I've probably bought them. And that's what made yeah. me Yeah. You know, it's weird because, so I, look, I live in New York City, as everyone knows, and I should have probably seen a hundred of these stores. And I oddly, I don't know. I don't feel like I've seen them everywhere. I feel, though I did recognize this phenomenon from having gone to a, doing a gig, a couple gigs in San Francisco and then walking into a couple stores like this. San Francisco, I feel like has a lot of these kind of like, provisions shops um yes. because provisions. I think the, provisions provision. just as important of a word as twee they're yes twee provisions. exactly twee provisions um because i think part of the thing with new york city is that we actually have bodegas that are like very functionally utilized and so unless your bodega is going to carry this like you know 63 dollar olive oil that's in a beautiful package um, you're you may you might not see it's like uh, the average hip New Yorker is still gonna go into the 
you know, shabby bodega. So I don't know. I, I feel like it's, but in San Francisco, I really did get the sense that these were the shops that, that I was walking into that, and, and this is something the article mentioned, but it, I think it rings very true for me that these stores feel like an Instagram feed. Like all of those ads that you're being served up um, on Instagram. And in fact, the, the olive oil brand that they discuss in the article said, we did New York, LA, Austin, and made a list of a few cities, picked 10 stores in each and reached out to them cold to ask if we could send them samples. Um, and basically they created... Um, and this is, was the beginning of creating these shoppy shops because a lot of brands are doing this. There's a company um, called Fair that basically lets you all buy all of this stuff. So all of this stuff is coming from kind of one or two places. And one of these places is called Fair. And it lets you buy all this stuff wholesale. And then it promotes to you other things algorithmically. So if you like the twee particular packaging of one thing, it will probably suggest another thing that has, again, that twee particular packaging so that you're getting all of the stuff in that genre, um, be it uh, hot sauce or fish tins. And the the fair people were saying that like the pro of this is that like these provisional shop owners 40 years ago, if they were trying to curate a really cool food b- boutique would have to be like on the road a lot, like going to a food conference to be like, what is right, the right, great right. olive oil of 1989 at, at a time where presumably it was a lot harder to get good olive oil. I, I was really concerned about my own coolness level reading this article, specifically my own drop off of coolness because uh, there were two brands <laughs> that talked about okay. kind of ad nauseum in the article. One is a tinned fish company called Tin Fishwife that I feel like came out, like kind of hit Instagram two or three years ago. And then one was the olive oil company that you were talking about, Nagin, uh, which was called what? Graza? Graza, that's like, right. And they were like, you know, Fishwife and that olive oil you see everywhere. Graza. And Fishwife, I'm in deep. I've 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 ordered the tinned fish just directly to my house. It's very good. Graza, never seen it, never heard of it. And I'm like, what happened to me in the last two years that I'm so in with the Fishwife life and I'm so out of the Graza? I mean, this. I think this article was supposed to make me hate this phenomenon but instead it's made me so concerned that i'm no longer cool i'm probably gonna buy right. $100 like of grass of olive oil as fast as i can when i get back to new york <laughs> i mean that i think so so here's the question vicky like you know what someone said in the story we know these minimalist dish generic aesthetics aren't connected to any true local origin but we see them as indicative of some kind of authenticity which i think is something that that andrew's driving at my current thought is that they don't feel local to a place but instead they feel local to the internet which is after all where we all live uh does this sound right to you and do you wish something felt more uniquely upper west side or uniquely wherever you are well, it's really true you say that. It is because of the internet this is happening because it could be store, uh, companies like Gold Belly where um, have kind of sped this up. So like if you and I met at Visualka Diner or at Westway Diner, we get our food presented in a certain way. We're not there for the presentation. We're there for the taste and the company. But when you send somebody, you know, uh, potato pancakes and matzo ball soup from Visyolka, they they will expect it. Like you're paying a premium for the presentation. And as people go away from each other, especially in the last three years, like we still haven't recovered from that, 
um, and stop with the company, right? And the whole authenticity of the experience of eating it, what is left but presentation? Because I'm not going to pay $100 to send some a sick person, you know, a friend who's sick, a package that doesn't look good. Right, 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 right. So now, um, and everything, of course, nothing really online. How authentic can it be? It makes sense. There's one company just like doing the packaging for everyone. It's easier. They have it all templatized. I, I have. I don't blame the restaurant using that, you know, or the shop. Right. Although I do have to say, you know, so so um, you, I'm in Chicago a lot, and one of the deep dish pizzas, which, by the way, as a New Yorker. I love a deep dish pizza. I like so it come too. Come at it's me. Fine. Come at it's so it's so filling and delicious and warming and wonderful. But I like going to Lou Malnati's. This will probably also be controversial for our Chicago-based listeners. But I like a Lou Malnati's. And then it, you can, um, when you go to Lou Malnati's, they have like a little shop and stuff. And all of their packaging is, you know, primary colors and b- big bold whatever and fonts that don't make sense, right? <laughs> it's like, but that's like what I want from a Lou Malnati's order. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want that, you know, Lou, my Lou Malnati's to look like, you know, before graphic design um, was modernized. And so I think like, it's it's weird because we want something that looks modern and now and minimalist, um, but we want it to feel authentic at the same time, except for what's authentic is a garish logo, you know? Um, do you, I don't know, Andrew, does it, do you not, are you, do you miss anything about that? The real complaint of the article, right, is that huge companies with like VC funding, VCs who are like, what if food could make me money? are pretending to be small companies. That's the real complaint of the right. article. And they talk yep. about small small washing is the big is the big word they use in it. And I guess I mean that sucks. It sucks to like feel like you're tricked into buying a small brand and it's really a big brand. Like I but first of all, I don't really see that working with like the foods that are coolest to buy local, which are like vegetables. Vegetables. And <laughs> mushrooms. And like bread. Right. Like I'm not gonna a bread shipped from California is never going to beat the fresh baked focaccia that I can walk into my local Italian restaurant in New York City and they sell it by the pound. That's amazing. And like, I guess the the one thing I'm a little cynical about specifically is like about one of the brands is like, well, where, what is the local olive oil in New York City? What local olive oil is being is being like pushed out of the olive oil game by Grazza? Like we don't grow olives here, so it's kind right, of like right, 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 well, right, like right. if if I decide that I'm no longer gonna buy the California olive oil that was trendy five years ago because I'm gonna buy this other trendy Grazza olive oil, it's like well, like I don't know, I don't I don't feel like I'm pushing out some small pusher of olives who's lives in Queens, uh, but but you know I. I <laughs> I will say I'm really loyal to like a Lebanese, this like family owned Lebanese shop in Brooklyn that I like travel to and buy olive oils two or three times a year. And it's like, I don't know, is a new American olive oil going to beat out the stuff that Lebanese grocer is importing? I don't know. Right. I I think ultimately, you know, like listeners of the show know, I have long, I don't do, I don't really do online shopping. You know, it's very, very, very minimal for me to do that. And um. And I would rather see local businesses because I think the other thing we're talking about is 
distribution pipelines is just that before there was a little bit more regionalized distribution pipelines so like if they were selling a brand of potato chips it was like a brand of potato chips that came within like a 300 mile radius or something and now they can it because of the way distribution works and because of the internet and fucking algorithms they are able to like get this particular potato chip from you know Oklahoma that's special instead of the one that's here that's special or whatever it is so it's 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 different it's dis- different distribution pipelines and i i guess i'm more okay with that than none of these stores existing and the streets being empty <laughs> so like that i i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna be i'm gonna say i'm pro the shoppy shop if it keeps small businesses open well again those shops wouldn't judge you if you went and did an abc sitcom they wouldn't say she sold out you know they don't yeah, understand yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly so i don't i don't judge them yeah. um and and andrew last thoughts on this Oh, and just the local shop owner is still getting their end, yeah. even if it's a, a generic, you know, Wes Anderson cutout. It's like uh, at least one local shop owner is earning uh, some money, and it's not just coming to you straight from Amazon. Yeah, yeah, and it's a place where you can fucking convene and touch and feel things and like experience them in person and have a conversation with the shop owner or the cashier. And oh, did you try this? Did you like it? Like. I fucking live for that. <laughs> I need it. I need strangers in my life filling my 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 heart with like human connection on the most dumb mundane level. Uh, and I'm, you know, so I'll take it. I'll fucking take it. All right. Let us move on to topic number three. Okay. So we're going to talk about sleepovers. And I just have to be honest, sleepovers as a child, it's it's just, it's where I shined. I loved going into the house of white people and eating sloppy joes and making magic bars, like things that I just never, without the sleepover, little ethnic kids would never learn what mainstream American families, um, that they have chore wheels or that they talk about feelings or that they drink something called Sunny Delight. Like I would have never learned this entire universe of what happens in in regular family sleepovers were my number one glimpse into the classic American family. And without that, I honestly don't think I could have figured out this entire country. Like, that's how important I think sleepovers were for me. Um, But yes, okay, I figured you, you, me and you might have the same position in this. But a couple of think pieces have put the sleepover into question. One's in the Washington Post that's anti and another one um, is in the Atlantic and it's pro. So before we get into it, what is your general position on uh, sleepovers, Vicky? My general position is the same as yours. Like I discovered that sinks have garbage disposals, you know, (laughs) dishwashers, more than one tv like more than one bathroom and it i didn't make the connection like i didn't come home saying i want it we're poor i was just like wow americans yeah Yeah. there's things yeah and i to be honest i don't subscribe to the washington post so i couldn't read the article and i didn't want to because i i don't even want to guess why they're against but I will say <laughs> if it has anything to do with kids feeling bad, we have to be okay with feeling bad. Like it's a normal part of childhood to have feelings that range from bad to good. And you're not always going to feel good. So um, did, 
did these people not white watch the film Inside Out? Did they not get? Did they not do that? Sleepovers <laughs> are great, and and also the reverse of that is American kids came over to our houses and saw how you know we lived and like our cultures and traditions, and we all just learned from each other. And yeah, there was some social weirdness and games some kids aren't comfortable with, but it's okay to be uncomfortable. There is a difference between discomfort and being unsafe. So, Andrew, you have a kid, right? I do, yeah. Um, and who I've seen on Instagram and uh, quite adorable. Not quite sleepover uh, age yet. Not she's not, not there quite yet. sleepover age yet. Um, but it's coming. Where where will you land on this? Now, can I back it up for one second, yeah. Nagin, and just ask? Please. I am a white person, but I don't know. What <laughs> oh. a, I don't know what a chore wheel is. And I really, I'm desperate to find out what is oh a chore wheel. Oh my god! Wheel? Did you know? Did you, well, I had one of my one of my besties growing up, Jenny. Her family had chore wheels, and it was like, literally, it would just go from it, it would show that week which child had to do what particular mm, chore. Gamifying was, the chores. Oh my god! It was fascinating, and her mom was a teacher, so she had actually a very good way of. I mean, parenting, basically, she was just like a pro <laughs> of like getting all these kids to do what she needed them to do while also learning, while also being good and kind, while also getting along. I mean, it was it was remarkable looking back on it. Now, as a parent, I can look back and I really appreciate um, how Jenny's mom uh, was uh, was such a badass and how that chore wheel, especially for a blended family of like six children, uh, oh, wow. was was so was so um, fantastic. With six but, kids, yes. you, re you really are having to pull in. The primary school teachers with six. Once you cross like three or four, yeah, yeah, I know exactly. You're in a primary school teacher zone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Andrew, what? Where are you on the sleepover? Did they figure into your life uh, growing up? Yeah, I went to a lot of sleepovers. I hosted a lot of sleepovers. Um, I, I act, but so I, my child's under one. I have a niece and two nephews who are like in sleepover age that are my older brothers. I work with my older brother and, and see him quite often and. Um, I actually sent him the Atlantic article because I thought it was so wild. And our response was like, we hadn't seen the Washington Post article. We didn't realize it was like a response to like a actual person's opinion. We were like, never have we seen a case of such a insane straw man. Like who would ever say sleepover? <laughs> like who would ever say sleepovers are bad? Like this entire opinion has been invented um, just so this person can write an article in in support of sleepovers this makes no sense i will say i think this would be a great i think chore wheels would be a great thing for someone to come out like vehemently against now that i know what chore wheels are like, <laughs> sure chore wheels are they child abuse and then have someone write an article about like actually right, right. I think people, actually yeah. chore wheels are an important part of white people's lives um <laughs> yeah i think i think it's i mean i think it's insane to not like sleepovers it's such an important part of like were there unpleasant parts of going to sleepovers as a child like absolutely and that's why you need to send your kids on sleepovers like i was miserably afraid of thunderstorms when i was a kid um and i you know like i acted differently around that while i was at someone else's home in terms of how much of a wimp i was oh yeah to you like held your shit together yeah. yeah and in a way that made it more unpleasant that i was having to hold my shit together but it probably helped me get over my insane fear of thunderstorms, which was pretty legit considering I'd broken my knee in a thunderstorm. You know, not just not just right, me, right, right, defend my right. Knee but you know, stuff like that. I mean, stuff like uh, seeing scary movies. Like, 
I don't know. You aren't, don't want to endorse that as a parent, but like it's probably part of the sleepover is just like doing all the stuff you're not supposed to do. It's a right like Halloween. You, right. On Halloween so, night, you do all the stuff so, you're not supposed to do, and that's part of that's part of our agreement from an anthropological standpoint that like you're in this liminal space where like yeah, the bedtime is ten, but like if you're a parent and you think all the kids are going to go to bed at ten on a Friday night and sleepover, like. You're fooling yourself. But it's also part of the agreement that you're going to come in at 1 a.m. and yell at them even though they're not your kids. And uh, absolutely. Now, look, you you both are pro sleepover. I, we're all pro sleepover here. We just don't get it. But uh, – and I thought it was a straw man argument too. But there is in fact a no sleepovers hashtag on TikTok that's followed by millions of parents. Uh, there's a hashtag so it must be real. And um, just anecdotally, again – it's like you sort of go around thinking in life that something is an absolute given, like sleepovers are just a 100% good. And then you talk to a beloved friend. My, I have a really good friend. She has three kids. And I said something about sleepovers. And she's like, oh, yeah, we don't do sleepovers. And I was like, what do you mean you don't do sleepovers? And she's like, well, people can come to our place, but I never, ever let my kids sleep somewhere else. And I was like, what do you mean? And it's funny because I, she has literally slept over my house when we were teenagers. Like she did a sleepover at my house and I slept at her house many times. So I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, we don't know. What do you know? What do you know about the other parents? Like whatever. Like you just don't know. And I was, and so I think the, the, the anti-argument, these are some of the questions that came up in the anti-piece in the Washington Post. How well do we know the other parents? Are there guns in the house? What about alcohol or drugs? What is the risk of COVID exposure? Are there older siblings around? Will the kids be watching YouTube or TikTok all night? Is it girls only or boys only? Um, are there other genders involved? Or what about kids that don't adhere to, um, to binary concepts of gender? So those are some of the questions that came up. And for me, I mean, okay, there's the basic safety threshold, which I think I'm I'm I obviously wouldn't let my kids stay at anyone's house that I haven't met their parents. Uh, but you do in the process of parenting meet a lot of parents. You know what I mean? So I don't think there are currently many parents where I would one hundred percent drop off my girl and be like, see you later, you know? Like, um I I I, I think once you meet that threshold, obviously, I guess there's a, a COVID exposure risk, but everyone, every family has their own thing with that. So that's, you know, we can table that. Um, I, when it comes to these kind of, you know, are they going to watch YouTube or TikTok all night? I hope they do because I never let my kid do something like that. A sleepover to me is like break the rules. You know what I mean? Break the rules within the confines of it's safe and it's not a big deal. Also, there was a question about like spreading misinformation, like kids are going to spread misinformation at sleepovers. Yes, of course they are. I hope they do. I remember learning about blowjobs at a sleepover. And which now it, we know aren't true. Now we know which, that's misinformation. <laughs> if you're a child at a, if you're a child at a sleepover <laughs> listening to this podcast, you know that those never happen. <laughs> those never happen. No, and it's just funny because like looking back on it, the description of what the other kids thought it was it was all totally inaccurate, right? All of it was inaccurate. But it was but that's great and hilarious the misinformation that's how the legend of the mothman lives on yeah yeah exactly exactly i mean kids are supposed to have a bunch of wrong ideas about what sex is before they are taught what is the correct thing that what is sex i've never i I don't know this sounds like hysteria complete because 
they are acting like kids don't speak to each other in school or at play dates. Like, what is the difference? At least in a sleepover, a lot of that you are sleeping. You can't spread misinformation. Like, they're talking all the time because the the phrase is what you learn in the schoolyard. It's not what you learn at a sleep. No, no, exactly. Let's assume that this parents' kids have been in the sleepover threshold, like, only post-COVID, because one of their big concerns is, like, COVID exposure. So maybe their kids are, like, 8 or 10, right? They're just coming out of, like, true pandemic zone into, like, sustained pandemic zone. And I just want to say to them, look, in three or four years, you're looking down the barrel of summer camps. Do you think think summer Uh camps are any safer than the parents of your kid's friend's house? Like, you're putting your child in the care of a bunch of college students, probably near water. You know, it's like misinformation at a sleepover. I got in a fight uh, at at summer camp where I told my roommate that the Beatles didn't use drugs because my my dad told me so. And I won because he gave up because I was so insistent. I mean, fortunately, fortunately, that sort of weird thing that that, why did that even? Yeah, fortunately, that sort of information couldn't couldn't, I think, stand in the age of Wikipedia and um, and the Internet. But uh, and, you know, Peter Jackson's excellent documentary. Get back. Of course. Um, But it's like at what point, you know, if you aren't letting your kids go to sleepovers, are you letting them go to summer camp? Are you letting them go to an out of state college? Are you letting them move out of your basement? Like, where does that where do you draw the line in the sand? Yeah. And the different gender, there will be someone. Is it a sleepover if you're not being judged or scared by the older brother of your friend, right? That that Uh is like the key to a sleepover. He has to be judging you or like doing prank calls. That's where you do prank calls at sleepovers. Also, there's the whole realm that this happened to me a couple of times where you have a crush on the older brother. Yeah, always. That is never acted upon in any... Right. You know, way, shape or form. Right. He couldn't be less interested. He couldn't be less. I mean, I mean, you don't exist. Yeah. But like to just like vaguely walk by that kid's room and be like, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> like that. Oh, what a rite of passage that was. Um, all right, folks, I'm so sorry that all three of us are pro sleepover. I was really hoping that one of you was just so against it and that we could make sense of this debate because there are apparently millions out there including my one friend and you know she I don't know like I don't she wasn't so vehemently against it she's just like nervous about what could happen with other like if other parents are creeps or whatever so well they should know who they're sending their kid to and Nagin your child is not yet in the sleepover zone right your child is pretty like under five right she's under five she's coming she's coming into it though like she has another friend who's her age that has done sleepovers so I feel like, you know, we're getting there, you know? We're definitely doing drop-offs, right? We're like, I drop her off and I'm like, see you later. So if like a, a lot of danger is going to happen, it can already happen in a four-hour period as opposed to a 12-hour period. I mean, it doesn't matter. Um, all right. Well, folks, let me know. What do you think? Are you letting your kids do sleepovers? Like, I truly, if you're against, I feel you. I just don't get it. <laughs> but like... Um, but hit me up. I'm so curious uh, to hear your honest expressions of uh, of being really into it or really against it. Um, all right, folks, that is the end of the show. Oh, my God. I am so um, excited that you're both here. And before you tell the people of Fake the Nation where to find you, I want to make a special 
super duper special shout out to our one and only Stephanie Aguilar. Stephanie's going to be leaving Fake the Nation. She's been our wonderful audio engineer for, I don't know, two years now. And Stephanie has just been uh, just one of the most wonderful, the most agreeable, the most talented, the most easy to work with, the most competent people I've ever worked with. She's so fantastic. And everyone at HeadGum agrees. Um, and I just, I feel so grateful that I got the chance to work with her. And I'm so excited for all of the wonderful adventures that she has coming up for her. Um, so just a big shout out to our one and only uh, Stephanie Aguilar. Um, and now um, I would love for the people of Faith the Nation to be able to follow you and all of the wonderful things that you do. Um, Andrew, where do they do that? Uh, the easiest place to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at a Rose Gregory, um, or you can look at the stuff I do with my brothers at um, at Gregory Brothers on Twitter and Instagram. And our main YouTube channel is Slash Shmoyoho, where you can see uh, what we're mostly known for, which is uh, taking things that weren't songs, uh, like uh, Corn Kid, aka Tariq, uh, talking about how much he likes corn, and turning it into a song. Um, folks, if you don't know the work of the Gregory Brothers, I mean, you you do. Once you get on the website, you're like, oh, I literally know all of this stuff. Um, it they're so fantastic, they're so funny, and like I said, there's they're they're, they're they have that they possess that kind of multi genre talent that's uh, frustrating to people like me who look upon it and wish that I could do what they do. So phenomenal. Um, and Vicky, where do they find you? Uh, Twitter, Instagram at Vicky Cooperman with a K-U-P. And yeah, those are the best places to find me. And then my website is VickyCooperman.com with show dates throughout the winter and spring. Um, folks, go see Vicky Cooperman live. First of all, and follow her because she's so funny. She's got one-liners that'll just like make your heart delight um, every day. So follow her on all the social medias. But then go and see her live because you will have just such a wonderful and magnificent time. Thank you. Um, and <laughs> of course, and uh, you know where to find me and all the things that I do um, on all of the social medias. Uh, do I have something that I wanted to specifically tell you guys about what I have coming up? I don't. I don't remember. I don't think so. Not to, not this week. Um, but I do want to thank everyone that makes the show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire. And for the very last time, our wonderful, wonderful, wonderful audio engineer, Stephanie Aguilar. Uh, thanks to everyone at HeadGum for making the show a possibility. Our theme music was written by Gobby Alter. And uh, please keep your thoughts coming to podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing your ideas about um, segments and panelists and whatever you've got in your heart and in your mind um, and uh, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Farsad to support the show and we will be back in your earballs next week that was a HeadGum Podcast